Welcome to the Movie Planet Podcast Movie Playground Retro Review Show of the movie Jaws. With Joe. I take a flamethrower to this place. Yeah. You don't know shit. JC. I'm the most wanted man on my island. I know where you get your delusions, laser brain. And Joel. I don't know what we're yelling about. Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into our side, Chief. He was coming back from the island of Tinian to Lady and just delivered the bomb, the Hiroshima bomb. 1,100 men went into the water. The vessel went down in 12 minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, 13-footer, you know? You know that when you're in the water, Chief? tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. What we didn't know was our bomb mission had been so secret, no distress signal had been sent. (laughs) They didn't even list us overdue for a week. Very first light, Chief. Sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo, and the idea was, shark comes the nearest man, that man, he start pounding and hollering and screaming, and sometimes the shark go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark, he's got... Lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white, and then, oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red, and despite all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. <laughs> Know by the end of that first dawn, lost a hundred men. I don't know how many sharks, maybe a thousand. I don't know how many men, the average six an hour. On Thursday morning, Chief, I bumped into a friend of mine, Herbie Robinson from Cleveland. Baseball player, Bosun's mate. I thought he was asleep. Reached over to wake him up. Bobbed up and down in the water. It was like a kind of top. Upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. Noon the fifth day, Mr. Hooper, Lockheed Ventura. So she swung in low and he saw us to the young pilot, a lot younger than Mr. Hooper anyway. He saw us and he come in low and three hours later, a big fat PBY comes down and start to pick us up. You know, that was the time I was most frightened, waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again. So 1,100 men went in the war. 316 men come out. The sharks took the rest June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, 
We delivered the bomb. This week, we are discussing the 1975 horror Jaws, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Roy Scheider as Brody, Robert Shaw as Quint, Richard Dreyfuss as Matt Hooper, Lorraine Gary as Ellen Brody, and Murray Hamilton as the worst mayor ever. Of all time. Of all time. Douche alert. Yeah, is Robert <laughs> Shaw the same guy that played Vader? No, that was David Prowse. No, not who played him, but was the face in Return of the Jedi. Oh, no, not the same guy. Okay. Yeah. Which, which, that was a different Shaw, though, wasn't it? Sebastian Shaw. Sebastian Shaw. That's yeah. Right. Um, a little trivia to start us off about this film. It was made for $9 million, $1975 and brought in $470.7 million, $1975 at the box office, making it the template for the summer blockbuster. Yeah. What would that be today? Ooh, on it. <laughs> Inflation expert, Joel's on oh. it. I need to just get this as an app because we've done this before. What movie was that for? Was it uh, Pretty Woman? Maybe. Pretty Woman. Uh, several decades after the release of Jaws, Lee Fierro, who played Mrs. Kittner, walked into a seafood restaurant and noticed that the menu had an Alex Kittner sandwich. She commented that she had played his mother so many years ago. The owner of the restaurant ran out to meet her, and he was none other than Jeffrey Voorhees, who had played her son, Alex Kittner. They had not seen each other since the original movie shoot. Where have I heard that name Jeffrey Voorhees before? I think you're thinking of Jason Voorhees. Which is the... Jason from Friday the 13th. Yeah. Uh, When composer John Williams originally played the score for director Steven Spielberg, Spielberg laughed and said, that's funny, John, really. But what did you really have in mind for the theme of Jaws? (laughs) Joel? Whoa. whoa. What do you got? I'm going to check these numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, sorry. I put it in wrong. I... I shorted them money. Um, <laughs> wow. How much we got? 1975, $470 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2017, it is only uh, $2.1 billion. Holy shit. A mere uh, $2.1 billion. That's what, it. I mean, that's, what has that's come that's of our Awakens. economy? <laughs> that's Force Awakens. Gold standard. <laughs> uh, Damn. Yeah. Spielberg later stated that without John Williams' score, the movie would only have been half as successful. And according to Williams, it jump-started his career. Yeah. It makes sense because George Lucas was kind of like, okay, come over here. I got something for you. Yep. <laughs> Though respected as an actor, Robert Shaw's trouble with alcohol was a frequent source of tension during filming. In later interviews, Roy Scheider described his co-star as a perfect gentleman whenever he was sober. All he needed was one drink, and then he turned into a competitive son of a bitch. Now, according to Carl Gottlieb's book, The Jaws Log, Shaw was having a drink between takes, at which one point he announced, I wish I could quit drinking. Much to the surprise and horror of the crew, Richard Dreyfuss simply grabbed Shaw's glass and tossed it into the ocean. When it came time to shoot the infamous USS Indianapolis scene, Shaw attempted to do the monologue while intoxicated, as it called for the men to be drinking late at night. Nothing in the take could be used. A remorseful Shaw called Steven Spielberg late that night and asked if he could have another try. The next day of shooting, Shaw's electrifying performance was done in one take. And that's my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. The Indianapolis discussion. That was a really good scene. And the final piece I've got here is Gene Hackman was considered for the role of Martin Brody. Oh, man. Which (laughs) I think he would have done well also. Yeah. He would have made it gruffer. See, I I don't think Gene Hackman, because Gene Hackman doesn't do warm. He doesn't do, like, caring for the community. And granted, I may be basing this off the fact we just watched Unforgiven, and he's an (laughs) asshole sheriff, and this guy's a chief. And we're going to be be doing a softer side of him next week. 
Ooh. Yeah, with with the but, replacements. But, we play, we'll, we'll talk, but, but he doesn't. But he doesn't. He's not soft yeah. in that one either. Go home. It, so yeah, I don't. I don't think he would have been well cast. I think he was too hard. And yeah. you already have two hard characters in Dreyfus and Shaw. Go home. Watch the replacements. Get a new look on Gene Hackman. <laughs> Good guy. Good coach. At one point, you're gonna have to put this film up there. Gotta have part. <laughs> it's the paper. It's just part. I've never heard of it. Do you never seen the replacements? I don't, I don't think you've ever heard of it. <gasps> Best football movie ever. Well, Joel, when when it comes your time to uh, pick a movie, we'll have to flip a coin between the replacements and Rush Hour. You can say, is that a comedy or a sports movie? Johnny Utah can throw a football. Oh, he can. Oh man, I don't. <laughs> He's know. the Johnny Rico of football. I'm afraid that if I watched it again, I would behind enemy lines myself. <laughs> no, you know what? <laughs> I wouldn't because <laughs> one. I didn't go on dates, so uh, uh, two. It, there's a difference between like a war movie and then a quotable comedy. Yeah. Okay, JC. <laughs> <laughs> What's your history with Jaws? Do you remember the first time you saw this one? No, I I know I've seen it. I've know I've seen the whole movie. It's another one of those like I probably saw it for the first time on TBS or some TV special, but. I know my neighbors had the VHS. I know I saw it. I, oh, yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> to be fair, I never understood what the big deal was. I never found it scary. Like mm-hmm. it's sort of funny that like this is a horror movie, and I'm like, but I think, and I used the phrase earlier, I think this has been parodied so much that by the time I saw it, it was Wilsoned. Gotcha. It mm-hmm. was like. This is a horror, mm-hmm. but to be fair, there is one move moment in this film, and every time I see it, I forget about it, and it like I literally jump out of my chair, and it is the one moment that scares me all the time. Is it the? I want to see you chump some of this. Shit. No, nah, is it the? I see uh, that one coming. Um, this might be the same scene I'm about to talk about. My, the first time I saw it was two days ago. Yeah. <laughs> Two days ago. Um, this is not the movie playground. It's really Joel's introduction to movies. <laughs> Listen. It really should be. Holy hell, man. This is good, though. I love having him on here because no, we, we, need we, get, we get too experienced. We've seen this movie a billion times, and then one from fresh eyes. I'm, I'm, as soon as he finds them. I have told you all this before, <laughs> and if we have new listeners, welcome to the show. <laughs> but I don't watch... He's new here, too. I, I mean, we were just talking about... Uh, me buying Silence before I've ever seen it. Yeah. I did the same thing with Birdman, Grand Budapest Hotel, stuff like that. I will buy movies as a total gamble if I hope I like it. <laughs> um, and I'll go see movies that I know nothing about. But when you tell me my entire life, you've got to see this. You can't believe you haven't seen this. You can't believe you haven't seen this. I'm like, then my expectations already set high. Yeah, I love watching movies and then leaving being like, that was so much better than I thought it was going to be. I didn't expect any of that. So when it's a movie that gets pumped up to me, I go in like ready to be excited. And I don't feel like I'm let down, mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm robbed of that like genuine reaction. And again, it was Wilson um, from Dis- uh, master of disguise to Joe and I were talking. I think the microphones were off uh, clerks yeah. with the salsa shark. <laughs> Everything was little by little, but my dad don't like the only story I remember. My dad said he saw this, I guess he was in uh, high school. He said he was in the movie theater been down tying his shoe, and it was back when movie theaters still had the old uh, wooden chairs. And he said when it's the scene that I saw for the first time yesterday, when that head pops up out of the ship, 
He said he jumped and uh, jumped so far back that he broke the back of the chair <laughs> and then left. <laughs> I, ben Gardner's face when he shows that up. That is still the th- scene. Like when he's in the water and they're look, he picks the shark tooth up out mm-hmm. of the boat. And as soon as he goes, like he starts to swim away and he goes back. And every time I see it, I'm like, what the? What did you see that you suddenly want to go back and look for? He reaches his right hand into that hole. He pulls up and then bam. And I know it's coming. Yeah. I know it's coming. And I still, I physically jump. I've been waiting. Every time. I've been waiting to watch that scene my whole life. Ever since hearing that story. And it scared the pants off me. It's It's a jump scare. It is. Yeah. Perfect for it. But for the record at home, this week I did watch The Goonies. I watched Jaws. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched The Incredible Hulk. How did it feel finding your childhood? Um, I had my childhood. It's called Angels in the Outfield. <laughs> <laughs> and well, Rookie of the Year. Well played, Joel. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you, Christopher Lloyd. <clears throat> well, this is another movie I can't recall seeing for the first time, just like JC. I'm pretty sure I've seen it so many times that it falls in the category of I was born with this music movie experience already in my head. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I'm sure it was before I was nine. Oh, yeah, I, I probably saw this. Game. Yeah, and you're right. That's Probably the on TBS or TNT because they showed yeah. it all the time. That's that's the thing. This is rated R. This would be a PG movie today. Yeah, easy. This yeah. would easily be a PG mm-hmm. movie today. Um, Yeah, so let's do the synopsis here. Here we go. Late one night on one of the many beaches of Amity Island off the coast of New England, a group of teenagers throw a bonfire party. Chrissy Watkins, a beautiful blonde, catches the eye of partygoer Tom Cassidy and leads him away from the group to go skinny dipping with her in the ocean. Tom, quite drunk, passes out on the beach before he can even undress. But Chrissy, undeterred, strips down and dives into the surf. As As Chrissy swims further from the shoreline, she pauses to tread water. An unseen creature notices Chrissy's paddling legs from beneath the water surface and begins to approach her. Chrissy is quickly attacked by the creature, who grabs hold of her leg and violently drags her underwater. Her screams for help go unheard, and eerie silence follows her submergence. Thoughts on the beginning of this film? Um, Shark Week has ruined any shark movie (laughs) I know that great whites attack from from underneath, and they go up with their tails. Meaning if he were to have eaten her, it would have been propelled upwards and then back down to the water. How is he supposed to tread water and like pull her side to side like a hand puppet? How is he how is he swimming side to side? So, that being said, I had to watch this movie with a mind of before I discovered Shark Week. <laughs> Or movies made after 1980. Where, whereas normally I'm battling Mr. History, today we're battling Mr. Biology. <laughs> I was going to say, Shark Week wouldn't be a thing without Jaws. No, <laughs> Thank you. no, that's what I'm saying. I'm giving it the credit it's due. I'm just saying, that I watch that whole scene, I'm like, that's not how they attack. You know, they, they bite once, and then if it's, a, if it's a human, they go away. I've watched a lot of specials on why Jaws doesn't exist. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like the movie, though. Let's keep going. <laughs> And, and in pure Spielberg fashion, after traumatizing you, let's go to Amity. The surrounding community of Amity is preparing for the upcoming Independence Day weekend, their most financially beneficial point of the year. The community depends on tourism as a major source of economic support and waits eagerly for each summer to arrive when herds of mainlanders come to savor Amity's shores. Martin Brody, Amity's chief of police, receives a call at home regarding Chrissy Watkins' disappearance. 
Following the report made by Tom Cassidy that she was last seen off the coast, Brody goes to the beach with his deputy Jeff Hendricks to search for clues. Hendricks soon stumbles upon the segmented remains of Chrissy, washed, washed up on the shore and being feasted upon by crabs. That's a pretty gross scene, That huh? was a pretty creepy Pretty gross scene, scene yeah. Funny thing about that is that they used a real arm for that. They just had to bury the person underneath the sand because they didn't want the fake arm didn't look real. Wait. So they used an actual cadaver. Oh, that's no, they no, I'm sorry. I said it incorrectly. They buried a crew member in the sand, just exposing the arm. Oh, yeah, because the fake arm didn't look good. So it's like a real live person arm. Yeah. The crabs are biting it. Brave soul. Well, the crabs are just crawling on it. They're not doing anything. You don't know that. Well, I'm going to assume not. So at 30, you know what happens when you assume? 32 yeah, years later, we're just, <laughs> we're just discovering this 32 years later. Maybe he should have gotten the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the police station, Brody receives a call from the coroner who determines that Chrissy Watkins was the victim of a shark attack. Fearing for the safety of Amity's many swimmers, Brody does what he's supposed to do. Immediately prepares to close the beaches until further investigations can be made. His intentions are quickly noticed by Mayor Larry Vaughn, who, fearing for the income loss that would result from closing the beach at such a pivotal point in the summer, attempts to convince Brody that a shark attack is too hasty a conclusion and pressures Brody and the coroner to change the official cause of death to Chrissy to being cut up by a boat propeller. Brody remains dedicated to the safety of Amity citizens and tourists, regardless of the financial toll the town might endure. However, Vaughn prevents him from closing the beaches just yet. This is our first instant. Uh, insti- uh, Moment of introduction. Thank you. First introduction of uh, island politics. Told Larry, like I can understand his point of view, but I don't like it. I also don't feel like he'd be this much of an ass about it. Yeah, but it's 1975. You do what I tell you the you to do, boy. You're, you're not from this town. Yeah. How I many times do we hear you'll never be an like islander? Three accents in that. <laughs> yeah. I, can we just talk about his blazer for a second? Oh, yeah. With the little anchors all over It's very Judge Smales of him. (laughs) Spalding. Spalding. Could you see Judge Smales as this Bye, Bushwood. (laughs) You'll never be an Islander, sir. (laughs) Over the next few days, ferry loads of tourists arrive on Amity's shores. The beaches are crowded each day, and Brody's extremely anxious that there will be another attack. As Brody and his wife Ellen sit in the sand, Brody intently scans the shoreline for any sign of trouble. A ways down the beach, young Alex Kittner asks his mother for permission to go swimming. Though Mrs. Kittner notes that her son's fingers are starting to prune from the time he has already spent in the water that day, she allows him ten more minutes. What's the worst that could happen? Alex and his yellow raft enter the ocean one last time before Alex is attacked by what is unmistakably an enormous shark. The other swimmers panic and rush out of the water while the bloodied and shredded remains of Alex Kittner's raft wash up in the surf. Mrs. Kittner calls out desperately for her son, unaware that he has just been killed. Sad time. Every time I see this scene, I try to find the shark when it picks the raft up, and I can never really see what part of the shark that is that I see in the water. Oh, I'm going to have to go back to my uh, Shark Week episodes. Uh, they well, <laughs> I, I love how we're not actually analyzing the movie Jaws. We're analyzing <laughs> Shark Week's take on Jaws. <laughs> they don't typically go towards the shoreline. Because this is really the most we've seen of the shark so far in the film. Yeah, yes. it's uh, a while till we see it, right? Yeah, we've seen, we, well, we've had two deaths and no actual shark yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a fin. Oh, I forgot something I wanted to mention. Can oh, I just that? say I love the, the police truck? 
with like the the top <laughs> cut off yeah. and just the poles that connect the two doors <laughs> going straight up. It's clearly a very relaxed it's environment. It's awesome. <laughs> I want a 1975 Bronco. Like Is that, that what that was? I, I don't know. It's a Bronco, but yeah. That's it. That, you know what? I bet that's a piece of movie history. The, the Brody's Jeep. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. It's parked right next to the Jurassic Parks. Larry, that's a horrible hat. <laughs> Bad hat, Larry. Bad hat. Uh, with dozens of witnesses to Alex Kittner's gruesome death, the presence of a shark in Amity Waters is certain, and Brody is finally permitted to close the beaches. Alex's grieving mother issues a $3,000 reward to anyone who can catch the shark that killed her son, and a town meeting is held to discuss the official shark problem. I love that there's a town meeting about this when there's already been two deaths in the small town. <laughs> like, we need to talk about this still, everybody. Two deaths is not enough in a place that has a population sign in front of it. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh... While Brody explains that the police department is expanding their efforts to keep the beaches safe and bring in a shark expert from the Oceanographic Institute to assist them, most of the assembled townspeople are simply angry about the beaches being closed, although Mayor Vaughn assures them it'll only be for 24 hours, everybody. (laughs) The chatter is quelled by Sam Quint, an eccentric and roughened local fisherman who guarantees the capture and slaughter of the offending shark for the price of $10,000. For that, you'll get the head... The, the tail, tail and the whole oh, damn thing. <laughs> Though his offer is not accepted at that point, Quint seems confident that the job will fall to him eventually. Joel had something to say. Well, I was just thinking, I feel like he could have just led with the whole thing. <laughs> uh, like he just changed his mind. He's like, go get defense. Actually, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'll just give it all to you. Is this, <laughs> if this was an empty movie award, would this be best use of nails on a chalkboard? And this... <sighs> When this happened, it was early enough in the movie. I was like, oh, man. Is this like the way this movie's going to go? Like, I get it. 1975 is different than 2015, which is different than 2017. (laughs) But, (laughs) like, it's been 32 years. I was going to say different than 2015. Time for a remake, Joel? (laughs) (laughs) Untouchable. Well, I was going to say it's different than 2015. I heard JC saying, it's 2017. So I corrected him before he could say it. So it's, it's like a, movies were different. But so what you're saying is I'm in your thoughts all the time? I'm not, not saying it. Is he working the left hand? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I'm your glad that it, I'm just, he so badly wants to like be proper and be polite. <laughs> He's trying so hard <laughs> to be a good boy. No, it's just it's like, not again, working, and maybe it's like the Wilson of it. I mean, in movies, you see like this chalkboard and this might have been the very first but i've seen it so many times now i was like dang it i'm mm-hmm. gonna see it as a cliche even though it was probably the originator yeah but it didn't it was just this scene was one of my eye rolls early. see and what i liked about it is that it differentiates quint immediately from everybody else everybody else is very much like, hey, la, la, la. and then you hear this and you're like oh who the hell is this hole uh, oh he, he knows and then you go to that his house. And you go to his house, and you see like hundreds of jaws just all over his place. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> With Mrs. Kittner's reward made public, scores of amateur shark hunters crowd Amity's docks. Two local men make a clumsy attempt to lure the shark with a pork roast, which results in one of them nearly being the shark's third victim. 
Arriving at the same time as the horde of overconfident fishermen is Matt Hooper, the shark expert from the Oceanographic Institute, hired by the Amity Police. After meeting with Brody, Hooper is allowed to view the remains of Chrissy Watkins. Hooper, visibly shaken after examining the mangled body parts, assures Brody that a shark was responsible. More specifically, a great white. Yes, sir. No, he doesn't identify it as a great white until he finds a tooth in the boat. Ah, he okay. O- he only identifies it as a shark. He does not af- identify it as a great white until he sees the tooth in the boat later. IMDB, start editing. Fake news. Damn it. Damn it. The town breathes a sigh of relief when the corpse of a large tiger shark is hung on the docks, having been caught by some of the contending fishermen. Brody is initially elated, believing the nightmare to be over, until Hooper examines the mouth of the beast and determines that its bite radius did not match the wounds on Chrissy Watkins' body, and therefore was likely not the shark they were seeking. Hooper attempts to convince Mayor Vaughn to keep the beaches closed until an autopsy on the shark can be completed and the contents of its stomach can be analyzed for human remains, but Vaughn impatiently dismisses his pleas because he doesn't want to see the little kittener's body pour out on the docks. And as much as I hate the mayor, this is actually one of those scenes where I always remember this quote because it's one of the few times I see see humanity in the guy and where I almost agree with him. I'm like, I am not about to have that kittener boy's body drop onto the dock. I can't remember how it's actually worded. Spilled out, Spilled on out onto the like docks that. or something like that. I'm like, wow, that's like visually disturbing and you're being a decent human being when you've been a <laughs> this whole time. So that's kind of impressive. Yeah, it is. It, it's a mo- I think you need that because otherwise the villain isn't the shark. The villain's the mayor. Yeah. You need to soften him a little bit. So this does it. And it, he makes a good point. What if they had done that on the docks? And all of a sudden, this little kid just bloop. Yeah, or at least pieces of that kid. Yeah. What a lot left. <laughs> oh, oh, I almost did it, but then I'm like, no, I shouldn't. So Joel does it for me. <laughs> as they're having this conversation, <laughs> the crowd falls silent as Mrs. Kittner arrives, clad in black and choking back tears, presumably returning from her son's funeral. She approaches Brody and slaps him across the face, furiously accusing him of keeping the beaches open despite prior knowledge that there was a man-eating shark in the water. She makes clear her belief that Brody was largely responsible for Alex's death, and Brody's determination to find the killer shark only increases. Now, in the same instance where I compliment the mayor, it's his f***ing fault the beaches are open, and he just sits there and lets Brody take it. And I'm like, this is why some people are just assholes. When you know something is your fault and you watch somebody else take heat for something you did, you are the lowest of Dante's hell. Like, you are stuck in the ice with Satan himself. This is also why you just don't negotiate with children. She said no, and then he said, please. And she's like, ah, okay. (laughs) She's trying to push the blame. She said no, and then she allowed herself to be deterred by a seven-year-old. And he said, yeah, but like, I really want to. She's like, yeah, but you're all pruny, which wasn't saying no. It was just more stating a fact. And then he was like, but mom. And she's like, okay, yeah, go swim. And he says, thank you, which a lot of kids don't do now. But I think this is just like disguising the fact that she should have just stuck to her guns and said, no, we're going home. It's lunch. Your perspective is awesome. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a, I can't argue with that. And yet I'm blah. This is a hard scene to watch, though, because she acts it really well. And apparently, because um, I was watching this on Amazon, and Amazon does this cool thing where it puts trivia up while you're watching. I right. Like that. And apparently, she couldn't fake slap. 
So she slapped uh, Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider seventeen times. Oh my! For God. seven, like they did seventeen <laughs> takes, and every time, like he even said. That she had to slap him, and he said, that's probably the most painful acting I've ever done in my life. <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek, he said. Now that I think about it, oh, Roy Scheider takes a lot of shots to the head in this film. He really does. He gets slapped 17 times, apparently. He has that barrel whack him in the head and knock his glasses off. Yeah. <laughs> this poor guy, no wonder he didn't do anything other than Sequest after this. <laughs> hey, he was awesome in Sequest, though. Never seen it? As Brody attempts to unwind at home, Hooper visits the house to share his thoughts on the shark situation. When Ellen Brody asks about his background, Hooper explains that he had been fascinated by sharks ever since he was a boy and remains just as enthusiastic about studying them. Hooper theorizes that Amity may have a rogue shark in its waters, which will likely remain until its food source is entirely gone. Brody and Hooper decide to examine the stomach contents of the tiger shark and proceed to the docks. Hooper slices, oh, slices. Hooper slices open the shark and finds nothing to confirm that it had eaten anything other than fish, tin cans, and a license plate within the last several days. Hooper once again confirms that the shark responsible for the killings would have a much larger bite radius than the tiger shark and believes that the only shark species that would meet that criteria is the great white shark. There it's mentioned. Well, there it's mentioned, but he doesn't prove it until he finds the tooth in the boat, which is coming next. Uh, continuing there. Now, keep in mind, Brody's had a few drinks. Yeah. <laughs> also, science guy note real quick. Tiger sharks are actually more <laughs> aggressive than the great white. So it would actually make sense for them yeah. to have been attacked by tiger sharks. But go on. Well, being that there hasn't been sharks in waters at all, they found two, apparently. A tiger shark and jaws. Yeah, because we never have sharks in these waters. Yeah. Ever. Thank you, Bear. <laughs> Should we believe those that we put in political power? Oh, we're going to go there? <laughs> I actually didn't mean it. I meant it as a joke, and as soon as I said it, I'm like, oh, damn. 2017. Like, I can't even make those jokes anymore without it being innuendo. Thanks, damn Obama. <laughs> He's been out at sea. Someone tell him to watch out. <laughs> Off the coast. Yeah. He wore a life jacket, though. Good for him. Yeah. Do you know that? Hmm? Okay, continuing their investigation <laughs> that night, Hooper takes Brody onto his boat to do some reconnaissance on the water. Brody, who faces an additional stress, Brody, who faces an additional source of stress within the shark case due to his fear of the water, drinks heavily before setting foot on the vessel. Because if you're afraid of the water, get drunk when you go out at night, especially because you're terrified of drowning. Yeah, because drinking is going to help with that. Using sonar equipment, Hooper locates a large object a good distance away from the shoreline, and they have a great conversation on the boat about how wealthy his family is. And Roy Scheider, Brody has one of the best quotes in this movie when he says, it's only an island if you look at it from the water. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) We're not going to get into geography. We'll we'll stick to biology today. (laughs) It is an island. The answer is yes, it is. It's surrounded by water on all sides. Well, so are continents. Why aren't they islands? Who said they weren't? Nobody said that a continent was an Science man? I mean, I guess they technically are. Or did we hit geography? Well, I mean, we never said they weren't. I think that's just... That's what I just said. I mean, <laughs> I said we just called them continents. We didn't say they weren't islands, too. No. Why isn't Rhode Island an island? Now, that one I can't answer you. That's a government question. History? I don't know. No. <laughs> I actually don't. You'd uh, have to ask Anne Hutchinson. She named the colony. Uh, Anne? <laughs> she, she's dead. She oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Brody recognizes it, recognizes it as the boat of Ben Gardner, a local fisherman. Hooper decides to investigate the half-submerged craft 
despite Brody's protests and Don's scuba gear before entering the water. Um, it's night. You don't have your shark cage? Nope. You've just confirmed that you think it's a great white? Let's just check. Jump in the water. Because <laughs> that's smart. <laughs> and then we get to your favorite scene. Uh, Not favorite so much. Hooper discovers a large hole in the hull of the boat and finds an enormous tooth embedded in the side. I need to change my pants every time. <laughs> While examining the tooth, adult. Hooper is horrified to see the corpse of Ben Gardner floating out of the hull, one of his eyes missing. Hooper drops the tooth and rushes to the surface. Son of a bitch. <laughs> he went Russian. <laughs> <laughs> he came down American, game up Russian. <laughs> Son of bitch. <laughs> Saw man, no I. Brody and Hooper make yet another attempt to reason with Mayor Vaughn, hoping their discoveries from the previous night will make a difference. Vaughn, however, still stubbornly ignores their words and states that even with the evidence of Ben Gardner's ravaged boat, there is no proof that a shark is responsible. Hooper explains that he pulled a shark tooth the size of a shot glass out of the hull of Gardner's boat, but Vaughn merely insults and dismisses him once again since Hooper cannot produce the tooth he dropped in the water. I Last. hate having arguments with these people. Like, I've had so many conversations with these people, and I want to <laughs> take them and twist their nose and say, look, I've got it in my fingers. <laughs> Is that a reference to this week's going on? <laughs> Possibly. Okay. Perhaps. Independence Day weekend finally arrives along with plenty of tourists, but the beachgoers are made uneasy by the numerous police boats patrolling the water for the shark. Vaughn is concerned that no one is swimming and asks a personal friend in attendance, what did you do? <laughs> did you turn off his mic? I've been doing it randomly. <laughs> <laughs> Vaughn is concerned that no one is swimming and asks a personal friend in attendance to enter the water along with his wife and grandchildren, I heard it, to put everyone's <laughs> minds at ease. The man and his family reluctantly and warily obey, and others begin to relax and follow suit. I don't know about you, but this family does a great job of showing how worried they are getting in the water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The kids don't seem to mind, but the look on the mother's face as she's walking by the camera is like, okay, all's good. <laughs> I don't care. Falls ashore that's going ashore. I don't care if the president himself asks me. I ain't getting in that water. No. I ain't. I ain't. I ain't. Yeah. Sorry. When you're in Amity, you say yod. The I kids ain't. are in the yod by the car. Not too far from the car. Is this the same town where they have the Amityville Horror House? Uh, no, it's not. I was going to say, if they have the Horror House and the shark, that's a place to live. Actually, a teacher friend from down in Florida that I used to work with, Patty, You're she lived... I do. She lived a block away from the Amityville house. <clears throat> yeah. No, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, no, you're welcome. <laughs> Fair enough. You're welcome. <laughs> no, no, you're welcome. He said, no, thank you. Brody is aiding with shark patrol while Ellen and their two young sons remain on the beach. When Brody's elder son, Michael, wishes to take his boat out into the water with one of his friends, Brody asks him to take it into the adjacent estuary just to be safe. While complaining that the pond is for old ladies, Michael reluctantly agrees. In the meantime, a dorsal fin appears among the swimmers in the main water, and panic ensues. The crowd scrambles back onto the beach, only to learn that the shark was merely a cardboard fin and two boys in snorkel gear playing a prank. 
Know your time, kids. <laughs> These kids. <laughs> As we all laugh. Kids so today. we would have all laughed. <laughs> we would have been like, that's awesome. You're so screwed. <laughs> but that was so awesome. If I At first, when I first saw this, and up until maybe about a few years ago, I thought the boy with the fin was Michael. Oh, that would have made it even better. I know. I thought it was Michael and his little brother because they pulled two kids out and one's clearly smaller than the other. I thought that's who it was at first. Why you got to judge them like that, Joe? I, Why you got to judge their size like that? I, I'm a heightist. Okay. <laughs> shame. shame. For shame. The beachgoers begin to relax, but a young woman overlooking the water sees the unmistakable form of a huge shark making its way into the estuary where Michael and his friend are sailing. I'm really impressed by the fact that I keep saying estuary properly. The woman's cry is first dismissed as another prank, but when Ellen reminds her husband that their son is in the pond, Brody goes apeshit to investigate. Michael and his friend are approaching, approached by a man in a rowboat. Approached? Approached by a man in a rowboat. Just in the smallest boat I've ever seen. It's almost a raft. Yeah. Uh, presumably the friend's father who is instructing them on their nodding techniques when both vessels are suddenly capsized by the shark. All three of the startled sailors surface, and Michael watches in paralyzed horror as the man fails to reach his rowboat before the shark attacks him and rips him apart. In front of Michael. Yeah, the look on the kid's face is terrifying. It is. It, that's, that's the first moment for me where I get, okay, this is maybe a horror. Yeah. And it's that mm-hmm. kid's reaction to it. Michael and his friend are brought safely to shore, though Michael is taken to the hospital to be treated for shock. Brody confronts Vaughn once again and puts his foot down, demanding that real action must be taken to deal with the shark. Vaughn, for once, is vulnerable and shaken, realizing that his own children were on the beach that day as well. He finally relents and gives Brody full permission to do all that is necessary to stop the shark. This pisses me off because I see this a lot in movies where the guy in charge doesn't get it until his own family is in danger. Yeah. That, I don't understand that. My kid was on that beach too. I do like the fact that he is shaken and he's actually trying to rehearse lines of what to say to the public. That makes sense. Yeah. But for him to say, my child was out there also. This has not been your character the whole time. Your child's been in Amity for the last two weeks. selfishness has been his character the whole time. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So he's now being selfish because he's only worried about his kid. Yeah. He wasn't worried about anybody else's kid. He was just worried about their money. Yeah. Brody seeks out Quint and promptly hires him to catch the shark for $10,000. Though Quint desires to complete the mission alone, Brody insists that he and Hooper will go as well. There is instant tension between Quint and Hooper, with Quint seeing Hooper as a naive college boy with no real shark hunting experience, and Hooper seeing Quint as a reckless thrill seeker. Though Hooper proves himself a perfectly capable sailor, the tension remains as the three men embark on their voyage in Quint's boat, the Orca. Now, we could also say that the tension's there because... Richard Dreyfus and Robert Shaw did not like each other, apparently. No, they didn't. Which, I guess, added to the tension and yeah. made it look really good. Uh, See? Chemistry. Well, that's, that's something I'm going to get to later is... Joel chemist- Nye, the science guy. Joel, <laughs> Joel, Joel, Joel. I'm just going back to our John Krasinski. <laughs> Maybe we're working with his wife because he likes her in real life. I don't know. Once out to sea, the men set about attracting the shark by ladling chum off the stern of the boat. Do you have a sea shanty to, to sing for us? Get it ready. That's cool. <laughs> you were ready for that. Gather around, ye lads, unless you set you for a while, and hearken to me more and foretell about the Emerald Isle. 
Let's all raise our glasses high to friends and family gone and lift their voices in another Irish shinking song. I was thinking, farewell, you ladies of Spain. <laughs> See, I don't know that one. Here's the drinking with bow-legged women. <laughs> farewell and adieu, you ladies of Spain. He does have a lot of sea shanties. He's a pirate. Everybody has sea shanties if you live in Cape Cod. Is it Cape Cod? Is it I mean, it's Boston. We're going to assume it's Cape know. Cod, right? I don't know. A little island off of the Cape? Sure. I'm going to say so. Yes. You say so. So. I agree. Paw. Uh, Me? Ray. Do. So. La. Tito. <laughs> Amity is the unofficial name of an island otherwise known as Martha's Vineyard, which lies off the coast of Massachusetts. Oh, it's Martha Vi- Amity is just... Yeah. Is the setting for the three Jaws films in the franchise, including Jaws, Jaws 2, and Jaws 4? The Revenge. <laughs> okay, so Jaws 3 was elsewhere. It was also 3D. It, was, it took place, I believe, in California uh, uh, at, at SeaWorld, wasn't it? Tied. Excuse me, but Back to the Future already told us that there is a Jaw 18. Jaw 19. Jaw 19, I'm sorry. Yes. With with the 3D. <laughs> Still looks <laughs> fake. <laughs> uh once out to sea, the men start by ladling the chum off the stern of the boat. Quint attaches a line of piano wire to a sturdy rod secured against a specific, specious, a specially designed fishing chair on the deck. After hours of waiting, the wire goes taut, and Quint believes the shark has finally shown up. The shark swims under the boat until the panano f- me. <sighs> the piano wire snaps, proving Maybe the immense the strength of the beast they are up against. Um... Is this when Quint finally gets Hooper's goat? Not our shark. It's a gaming fish. And Quint's finally right that oh, it, it's the shark. Okay, yes. Yeah. Uh, I didn't actually mean a goat. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I, yeah. At, <laughs> that, that's the T Rex in G, G, Jurassic Park. As the voyage presses on with. And world. And world, yes. They feed him a- as the voyage presses on with no further sign of the shark, Brody grumpily labeled, ladles more chum off the back of the boat, while Quint continues to show his disdain for Hooper. <laughs> Without warning, the massive head of a great white shark emerges from the water for a moment, and we get our first good look at the size of the fish. Brody is stunned and alerts Quint. 20 further. 25. We're going to need a bigger t- boat. And we're going to need a good three tons on them. Uh... Hooper notices the shark beginning to circle the boat, and Quint rushes out for a look. He estimates the shark is 25 feet long and weighs three tons. After barking a few orders to Brody and Hooper, Quint begins to fire harpoons tied to plastic barrels intended to both slow the shark down and act as visible tracking devices. Though Quint manages to hit the shark with three harpoons, the barrels have no effect, and the shark easily pulls them underwater. Just in time, Hooper manages to attach... No, No one's ever done three barrels. (laughs) (laughs) Hooper manages to attach a technological tracking device to the beast before it disappears again. That's a strong fish. (laughs) Three barrels. You ever seen anything like that? No. And that's all it takes. Just that one simple no. And you're like, oh, it just got real deep. That night in the ocean, the men have dinner. And drinks below deck. And Hooper surprisingly begins to bond with Quint as they compare tattoos and scars. Sailor stuff. Brody Brody notices that Quint has had a tattoo removed. Can we talk about the back and forth of scars and how that, like, they're drinking and everything, having a good time, and (laughs) Dreyfus just goes, I got one that beats them all. Mary Lou. 
Broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> the classic Dreyfus laugh. <laughs> I don't know if it's a classic. He has a very distinctive laugh. He does. But it's there's a point funny. where he puts his leg up on the table, and I'm trying to figure this out because I did it last night on mine. I don't know how he bends it that way. His foot is nearly like a yeah. good 180 degrees around, it looks like. <laughs> he does have a weird angle. That's um, what she said. That- <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> there you go. She said that. <laughs> the mood suddenly darkens as Quint admits that the former tattoo represented the U.S. Navy cruiser Indianapolis. Quint, aboard that ship in World War II when it was sunk by torpedoes, had witnessed the deaths of roughly 800 men that day, many of whom were eaten by sharks as they struggled helplessly in the water. Quint's eerie retelling of the disaster confirms how his hatred for sharks began and reveals his guilt at being one of the mere 300 sailors who survived the sinking of the Indianapolis. After the solemnity of Quint's story, the three men sing a rowdy sea shanty to lighten the mood, but are interrupted by the returning shark violently knocking into their boat, causing it to begin leaking. Quint rushes on deck and fires at the three telltale barrels, but the shark escapes once again. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago, and it's gone right to my head. Wherever I may roam, through land or sea or foam, you can always catch me singing this song. Show me the way to go home. Boom, boom, boom. Show me. The- <laughs> you, you sing different words than I know. I'm sorry. That's okay. Remix. It, apparently. Remix. 2017. The next day, the men attempt to repair the boat with limited success. Seawater has contaminated the fuel, and the thick clouds of smoke belching from the ship's exhaust pipe are a sign of engine damage. When the shark returns, Quint, waiting and ready, instructs Hooper to grab the barrels with a hook and secure them to the stern. Hooper succeeds, and Quint attempts to drag the shark by powering the boat to full throttle, but the shark uses its immense strength to pull the boat in the opposite direction, nearly capsizing it and causing further structural damage before Quint cuts the ropes attached to the boat that's a strong fish that's yeah. a damn strong fish that is uh biologically accurate they are very strong uh, fish <laughs> <laughs> uh powerful swimmers it's in the tail it's in the tail yeah that's a lot of the get up and go the thrust yeah yeah how do you get the throttle in the tail hmm? <laughs> come again <laughs> Jay-Z. <laughs> the shark breaks free from the barrels and submerges again. Quint demonstrates the extent of his mad vengeance only against sharks only if I'm lucky. by destroying the radio which Brody was attempting to use to call for help. The shark begins to chase the boat, and Quint steers back toward land at full speed, dismissing Hooper's protest that he is overtaxing the already damaged engine. When the engine inevitably fails, the three men are trapped on a sinking boat with no means of propulsion and no radio. Quint... Ooh. No, sorry. Quint offers life jackets to the other men, though he takes none for himself because he'll never wear a life jacket again. Why does he destroy the radio? I think he's just so frustrated because he's caught so many f***ing shark, and he was supposed to be the man. Yeah. And if he goes back, he's the garbage everyone perceives him to be. Fair. Because he's kind of that outcast on the island. I can't look myself in the mirror, man. I can't look myself in the mirror. Um, suicide by shark. This is also the point where we finally see Quint shaken. Like, he doesn't know what to do anymore. 
running out of options, Hooper resorts to putting on his scuba gear and having Quint and Brody lower him into the water inside a shark cage, his aim being to inject the shark with poison using a harp- harpoon syringe. Last-ditch effort. Yeah. And I love how he's like, well, we got to stick it right in the mouth. And Brody goes, are you kidding? And he goes, we have no other choices, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> They're all mad now. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I think I'd be in the same position. Yeah. I wouldn't know what you the hell You are to staring death in the jaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the cave proves to be no match for the shark who attacks Hooper with such ferocity that he drops the harpoon and is forced to hide in a reef while his cage is being destroyed. I hate the fact that he drops it on the first try. Jeez, yeah. Travis. <laughs> Gosh. He gets hit once and down it goes. <laughs> so Shit. weak. Uh, yeah. Brody and Quint haul up the remains of the shark cage, Sans Hooper, and assume him to be dead. They barely have time to process the notion before the shark leaps from the water like a breaching whale. No, he just said it's scientifically accurate. I know. I'm not saying it isn't. Oh, okay. And lands most of its body on the sinking stern of the boat. Quint... <laughs> Quint and Brody hang on to the cabin for dear life as the boat is upended, the shark's gaping mouth at the bottom of the drop. Quint ultimately loses his grip and, despite Brody's endeavors to pull him to safety, slides into the mouth of the shark and is devoured. The shark, with Quint's corpse in its mouth, slides back into the water. That that was the scene. There Now, there were ones before, like you talked about, but this was the scene where I was like, whoa, this is a... This is a horror or a serious mm-hmm. movie because I mean there are a lot of jokes throughout this and a lot of lighthearted scenes, but that was that was one of the more tough scenes to watch as far as this movie goes. Yeah. And I think something that Spielberg does really well is he like he knows how to blend horror with the lightheartedness to keep you invested instead of just being scared the whole time and going. Ugh. He wants you invested in the characters, and so he adds those lightheaded moments and those moments that we all relate to. Uh, anybody on again? I, I said a second ago, which is. They are relatable characters. You would be in the same situation. When they were scared on the boat, we've, we are scared on the boat. When they're doing that, you're hoping, Brody, hold on for dear life. You know he's not going to. You don't see it happening still, though. You're like, Quint's going to kick away. Nope. Ugh, in the fuck. And then when it snaps down on him, he'll punch his head through his head. <laughs> Drax would. That's true. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's hard. Horrified and believing himself to be the only survivor of the seemingly doomed mission, Brody hastily enters the cabin of the rapidly sinking boat and finds one of Hooper's pressurized air tanks. The shark smashes through the side of the boat, mere feet away from Brody, whose attempts to drive it off by beating it with a tank result in the tank becoming lodged in the shark's mouth before the beast swims away again. Uh, Mr. Biology? Mr. What's, what's uh, up? Can sharks swim backwards? No, they can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that from Deep Blue Sea. It would drown yeah. their gills. With wait, no, it would drown <laughs> in their gills. <laughs> it wouldn't be just the gills that drowned. It would be the whole shark. Uh, there was real shark, shark footage uh, here, and that's when he's in the tank. When he's in the in the cage, that's the only real shark footage that they have in this whole film. Wait, that wasn't a real shark. That was a real shark. That was a real that was shark. a real shark. I said that. The whole thing was a real shark. No. Uh, <laughs> it, it was realistic. I get it. Yeah. With, <laughs> with, so wait, how? Did they just like put a shark in a... They just did shark no, cage they, footage? They did, they did shark week footage, if you will, of Sick. the shark on top, thrashing on top of that cage. Oh, love that. Wow, shark week was a thing before it was shark week. 
It created itself. There you go. <laughs> Egg, chicken. Which one? Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another podcast, guys. <laughs> <laughs> with little more than the boat's mast above water now, Brody climbs to the top of the mast with a rifle in his hand like Captain Jack Sparrow at the beginning of Pirates. Now possessing some of Quint's... Rifle. <laughs> no, he had a gun with one shot. Okay. <laughs> uh, now possessing some of Quint's courage and madness, Brody begins to fire at the approaching shark, hoping to hit the air tank in its mouth. At last, Brody hits his mark. And what's his final words? Smile for me, you son of a bitch. So he doesn't say gets cut off. Yeah. The tank explodes, taking the shark's head with it. Which was sweet. And Br- <laughs> it's pretty sweet. And Brody laughs maniacally as blood and shark meat rain down around him into the sea. Moments later, Hooper finally surfaces, alive and well. The two men celebrate the end of their adventure with a weak chuckle before assembling a makeshift raft and paddling back to Amity Shore. So the movie's over. JC? What do you think after watching this film? It's really good. I like it. When people watch it for more than just... The comedy sketch moments, the things that everybody knows about because people talk about them. If you if you go in knowing there's more to it than just those scenes, there's just this is a good movie. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like there's a reason why this thing was made in nineteen seventy five and it's two thousand seventeen and people still talk about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally an entire week was created because of this movie. You cannot tell me that it wasn't. So yeah, it no. It's a good it's a good watch. And yeah. plus it's like you said it's a horror and I don't like horror movies. But I can watch this one. Yeah. I enjoy this one. It's yeah. a mainstream horror. Can we say that? Yeah. Yeah. Joel, how about you? No, I like this. Uh there are mo- there are moments where I rolled my eyes usually toward uh Richard Dreyfus. But uh <laughs> There were other moments. Dry, roll, I, hey, uh, yeah, like what? Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I'll get to it. But no, there were definitely moments where I was just attached to the screen yeah. that I really enjoyed. Yeah, there's parts where it's hard to look away, even though it's, you want to look away. Um, it still holds up for me. It's still creepy. It's still I didn't scary. know Patrick was in the movie. Creepy. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the followers. Okay, I am not gonna. <laughs> We're going to hit the Golden Globes here to the awards. Get it right. Uh, best director went to Milos Forman for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I can't disagree with that. Okay. There's uh, a movie called Nashville? Milos. Uh, Dog Day Afternoon is the only one I've seen on there other than Jaws. Uh, this is a, Jaws is a great movie. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is a great film. Uh, best film in a drama went to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Again, Nashville is a film? Nashville is a film. Uh, best music, Jaws. Yeah, John Williams. Clearly. Have to agree with that. Even though the Return of the Pink Panther's on there, and that is almost up there with pretty recognizable. The other side of the mountain. The other side of the mountain. That's probably not is that right. it? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I, was just, I saw the other side of the mountain. I'm like, isn't that like a little j- jingle? Uh, best jingle? screenplay went to Cuckoo's Nest also. I mean, jingle all the way. Jaws only won for best <laughs> music. And I'll be honest with you, if there's one thing it would win, I'd want music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Willie, this is Williams's. I think was this Williams's first shot. Yes. Okay. This was his first one. Uh, for uh, like <laughs> out of like fifty, right? <laughs> that, that sound mixing bite the bullet. <laughs> you shot it in the tube. Get it. <laughs> At the Academy Awards, uh, Williams wins again for Jaws, uh, for best original score. Uh, didn't win best picture. Went to Cuckoo's Nest again. 
Um, best sound mixing went to Jaws, though. <laughs> so that's kind of like, oh, we can't let you win Best Picture, but we'll be, you can win this one. Uh, best film editing went to Jaws. So do you think it, are there any you have to quabble with on these or? No, I. It's kind of hard to when you don't know the other movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sh- sure. <laughs> okay, what worked well for you in this movie, JC? I love this movie for reminding me there's always something before the meme. Ah, okay. This movie is the movie that proves you need to see the source material to really get why people care about memes or care about the funny jokes or any of that. And it's also awesome because it is a historical film in the sense that it shows life in the 1970s. Yeah. When Brody does his research, nerd alert for me, he has to do it with books. What are books? He is literally like, <laughs> he, has sta- he has stacks of books and he's reading through it and he's like, did you know that so-and-so said this? No, I didn't. Because we don't all have f-ing phones on our hands where we can be like, ah, I know the same thing you do because I can still type in Google just like you can. <laughs> no, like people actually knew shit other people didn't know because there's only so many books and Everybody had read it, and then they have the whole dinner over, oh, you've read that book, too? Yeah, I did my research on that book. And it's like, yay, bonding over nerddom. Awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> the music is great. Uh, I don't have an issue. I, I don't really have too big of an issue for the with the fake-looking shark. It was 1975. What the f*** was going to look better than that? I mean... A real shark. A, a man in a shark suit. <laughs> Would have looked better? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I was going to... Oh. That's the only other option. That's how they did things back then. Just put a guy, put a guy in a suit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, people can joke for, like, campiness and all this, but again, 1975. Like, I bet most mayors talked like that. I bet most people were like, it's the old boys club. Mm-hmm. Wives acted like that. Kids were stupid like that because we're dumb now. Um... <laughs> They were actually the kids are probably actually better in this actually, movie. Yeah, I was gonna they say they were polite. Yeah, they had to read. Yeah. Oh my goodness, <laughs> just yeah. I a lot of stuff worked. Uh, my favorite thing, literally, my favorite part of the whole movie is uh, the end when he's like, uh, "Smile for me, son of a like." That's just what I think. Jaws. I think of that moment. Yeah. And as soon as he says "son of a," and then it's yeah, that's my favorite part. Joel. Uh, I think it kind of goes without saying. I think the music is one of the best parts, but not just the orchestral uh, scores. I I noticed when they're driving around in the Jeep, the more melodic tones that are mm-hmm. playing in the background really do a good job at setting the tone of what the movie is and what the city or the town is like. Yeah. And the flip-flop back and forth, it's a good balance between that. And John Williams obviously did a good job, and he's continued to do a good job. But other than that... I really loved Robert Shaw's character, Quint. When he tells, obviously, the story, uh, the war story that he has was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But just, I love, I just love the, hey, yeah, you know, the back of my time, you Nancy biologist boy. <laughs> <laughs> He's there for business. And he does, I just, I think I just know a couple people like that. <laughs> I just, I the character that he gets into is just awesome to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I put down the dialogue is so well done. I love the way that the Island of Amity is portrayed from the townspeople to the mayor, to the tourists, uh, the bonding of the heroes at night, comparing scars and singing. I love that scene. I could watch that scene over and over again. And I love the fact you barely see the shark. 
Yeah, no, you that is great. It. it was the happiest accident in film history, I think, that that shark broke because they couldn't use it. Like, they kept breaking on them, so they had to hide it in most of the scenes, which led to some of the Suspense. best sus- suspenseful parts. Yeah. I, I almost wonder what this movie would have been like if it had worked all according to plan. Would it have been as good? No. I don't think so we either. would have laughed at it the first time we saw it. Yeah. The first time it's revealed, suspense has been created. Because mm-hmm. uh, of <laughs> JC, what, what didn't work for you? <sighs> Not a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, people will be nitpicky. They'll say, oh, it's an old film. Oh, it doesn't hold up. Or, oh, this looks fake. And no, don't look at it as a f-ing film made in 2017. It was made in 1975. Yeah. The acting is good. Even when people are like, one of the best acted scenes is when Mrs. Kittner slaps him in the face. Yeah. I mean, you feel emotion. And the fact that she had to do that, not the slapping, but the fact she had to say those lines with that emotion and tears and all that 17 times. I mean, this is, I don't know. I just, even the stuff that people would say, oh, well, but that looks bad and that looks bad. Did it in 1975? I don't think so. I think Because looked- everything, the summer <laughs> blockbuster we get, Shark Week we get, we get so many things. We get Star Wars score because of this movie. At $470 million, it must have looked real back then. Damn. So yeah. it's just like, heck, it's now a, a trope. Like, you don't go swimming if there's sharks in the water. Like, everybody thinks that. Well, you don't. No, but a shark is not going to go chasing after a human. We have now learned that sharks don't do that. Well, certain types of sharks. But it's still every human being on the planet knows Jaws. Yes. There is something for that. In fact, every human being on the planet pretty much knows the tagline of this movie. You will be afraid to go in the water. I mean, all you have to do is go do-do-do-do-do. Do, 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 do. And you do that, everybody knows what you're talking about. Yeah, they'll laugh, they'll giggle, but you got to give credit to whatever started that. So, no, yeah. I, I can't find anything wrong with it. Joel? Um, I'm going to say what didn't necessarily work well was just something I had to get used to, and it's almost Short shorts. The, the flip-flop of exactly what JC just said. Getting used to the way that films were done in 1975 – it was very theatrical, and it was almost like the way some of the lines were read was as if they were standing on a stage, and they had to use this like exaggerated uh, good, emotion. Yeah. They had to use an exaggerated emotion because when you did it on stage, you had to project Reach that emotion to in, everybody in, in the, the back row. place. Yeah, good call. And so over time, we've learned that oh, you can you can grasp that just by you know having a closer camera angle or by subtlety, and so everything was read with that very dramatic. You said what? Or mm-hmm. this is happening, and so I had to get used to that. But again, I understood. It's like this is nineteen seventy five. But what? And again, this isn't necessarily wrong. But Richard Dreyfus, I could, I thought that he was going to be the character I loved the most, but I did not care for him. I didn't like the like. Was he serious or was he not? I didn't like it when he like. My least favorite part was when he puts his fingers in his mouth and like sticks his tongue out. I was like. That part, yeah, that was, I was like that's. I was like, it's so, it was just so cheesy. Mm-hmm. And there, I just remember there being several parts of the movie. Not, a, not a lot, really, not a lot. I'm definitely like grabbing for stuff, and I had to look closely to find something I really didn't like. But if I were to change certain things, I would have kept Dreyfus as kind of the 
arrogant smarty pants and not the like the nana nana boo boo, mm. you know, in your face kind of guy. I just, there are some things that just didn't fit with him, but again, I'm grasping for things. It's the tiny shorts. It, short shorts. <laughs> it was a short shorts. Like Muldoon. But maybe, they, according to Joel, they must not have, not have looked as good as Muldoon did. <laughs> they must not have, they must not have uh, packed in there as nicely as Muldoon. <laughs> um, what did you, what'd you say about penis jokes? I didn't say like, anything. Just, no, how many do you get in this podcast? No. <laughs> uh, for me... No short of 70? About 70? 70. A lot's been made. drinking game? Just less than 70. <laughs> There's been a lot of talk about the shark and how it looks great, <laughs> even by today's standards. Uh, I've got to disagree big time here by today's standards. Uh, you when you hear people every time a shark movie comes out, they go, "Well, it doesn't look as good as Jaws." The shark may still have worked until about five or six years ago, uh, and I maintain that The Shallows, starring Blake Lively, had a better shark in it than Jaws when it comes to believability. Uh, it looks better today as a CGI shark than that does back then. Now the, the close-up shots when it's right, when Quinn's about to go in, that looks real, but there are parts where the shark is swimming away from the orca and you can actually see the body is moving almost sideways throughout the water on its, on its uh, line, if you will. And those are things that I kept looking. I was like, and it, they, they did it like three or four times in this movie. And I was like, it's, it's tilted to the side and it's moving on like a, a rail system or something. Well, if you want to go with continuancy in the very first scene, he does like bite her and then just start moving side to side. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like he's just like a foosball. That, that being said, you're supposed to get from those shots, the size of it, not the movement of it. And when you see the size of it, the size kept changing also because they'd show one thing with the dorsal fin and the tail and it was huge. Then they show another one and look like a potato going through the water. Okay. <laughs> Um, he so called a silver turd. Yeah. It, so despite the fact of how it looked as it was going by to give you scale, it still looked menacing when it was up close. And I think maybe that was the point up close. It's got to look good. Um, so that's all I got to say about that. that's the only nitpicky stuff I have. And you're right. Dreyfus, you know, make his face and stuff. But Dreyfus was my favorite character in the film. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause I, I thought he, I can see why Spielberg wanted him for close encounters of the third kind a few years later. Mm. Uh, he didn't bring back anybody else from this movie. That's true. He's never done another Robert uh, Roy Schneider movie. He's never done another movie with no, uh, Robert Shaw. So uh, who's the audience for this movie, JC? Everybody. Everybody. I think, no, I do. This Everybody. is this is cinema Everybody. history. You need to see this film. Yeah. If you're going to make jokes about it, if you're going to laugh at it, you need to at least see the original material. Agreed. Joel? No, I'm going to agree. You need, you've got to see kind of where everything began. And... This is kind of where it starts. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there were a lot of movies before, but with the horror genre of kind of taking it a different direction, and I'll talk about that in a second, it does a really good job. And I mean, not everyone is going to love this movie, but if you like movies, this is something you need to see just to understand like what movies have become and what has set the stage for future movies. Yeah. Uh, I just put anyone who is thinking about moving to a small town or island that is tourist based. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Because you'll you'll see these politics still, I'm sure. Uh, Key West, that whole island is tourist based. If a hurricane goes in through there, all of a sudden they have like two or three years of poverty. Mm. So, what if um, it goes around it instead of through it? Goes over it. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Movie report card. JC. A solid A. 
Joel? You know, um, it's in the horror. Yeah. Genre, right? Uh, I'm going to have to give it an A. Because so I looked up. <laughs> for those that minus can't, <laughs> for those that can't see, Joel just or Joel just said saying that he gave it an A gave Joe the biggest release. I'm pretty sure he splurged in his pants a bit just to make sure. Oh, thank God! It you was, said it was, it was literally that orgasmic release. The face way that you Joe formed that, I was like, he's gonna give us an A minus. Damn. <laughs> Well, here here is why I will give it an A. And I mean, I had to go back and forth and like understand, like, okay, it was 75 and the different things you talked about. But I looked up the definition of horror genre, and it is a film that seeks to elicit a negative emotional reaction by playing on their fears. And so if it is something that the entire movie is centered around, like how you react is based on like what you don't know, what your fears are. This does a really good job at that. Yeah. It made me hesitant to go in the water, and I know that sharks are not like blatantly. hunting you down. Yeah, they're not hunting you down. And it was cool. My one of my favorite parts, actually, I forgot to say, was when he's in the cage. For the first time, you see that it's not an animal, and there's something extra with the shark that he doesn't keep charging at it initially. He hits it, and then he disappears, and he realizes he can go around the boat and attack him from behind. So that's when you realize, oh, this isn't a normal shark. There's an awareness to it that I think adds a little bit more depth to the movie. But, um, they, I mean, they made people terrified of sharks for for years Decades. and years and until, st- until, until now. Until even, Shark Week. Until Shark Week disproved it all. Yeah. And my thing, I was even talking to one of our, uh, <laughs> one of our colleagues came into my room to get coffee and, like, joking around about certain things. I was like, yeah, I would love to get attacked by a shark because no one else can say, like, no one else has a cool death story like that. I mean, there's select few. It's like there, there's. But who's going to tell the story? You're well, dead. No, this <laughs> thing. Let's be honest. We have a colleague, Boyd. Boyd will have a cool death story. Let's just be yeah. honest here. Should we ask him tonight if he's got like you know? Hey, yeah. have you ever been with a shark? Yeah, it wouldn't be bad. Well, I bet he said yes. Bro, <laughs> I feel like there's not much he hasn't done. Yeah, but uh, you know, there there's the group of people that's like. Like, oh, those are the people that were struck by lightning. And it's like, oh, and they're the 12 people that were attacked by sharks. Mm. But this movie made me change that because, like, that looks awful <laughs> when he gets eaten <laughs> on the boat. I don't want to. <laughs> because our colleague. He had to see it. He, had, he, needed, he needed visual confirmation. But to what, say, I don't want to be eaten. Well, forever it was just like this big joke. I was like, obviously, I didn't want to. But it was a joke. I was like, oh, yeah, I could, I think, uh, you know, I could get through it for the story. But I was like, no, that looks awful, and it looks so painful. But what horror has done, oh what horror has done lately, and I'm not saying it's all horror movies, but they've gotten lazy, and it's all in we want to jump out and scare you mm-hmm. or give you something that's visually unpleasant. And so they go away from the idea of, just like messing with your fears and anxieties. And that's what this movie did a really good job of. It wasn't just boo. It wasn't just scary, creepy things. It wasn't the kid on the swing set on the empty playground at night, which is terrifying. Or an empty swing set at night in general. Why are playgrounds in front of a cornfield? Yeah, day, night and day completely change how I see. Um, completely change how I see uh, playgrounds but no I give it an A because I think that it does horror films the way that they should be done it shouldn't just be laziness there needs to be a story built upon it in depth to tell you why you are now afraid of something um 
Joe is now going to give it a C plus. <laughs> <laughs> In keeping with my dickishness, no, uh, I'm giving it an A, obviously. This is not only a Spielberg gem, it is a John Williams gem. Uh, I can see how George Lucas immediately grabbed Williams two years later for Star Wars. Uh, Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfuss, and Robert Shaw are an example of putting three actors together who have very little in common, but getting the absolute most out of them. This movie is ridiculously quotable and has very few, if any, arguably, plot holes. Like when Dreyfus gets away from the shark cage, but the shark doesn't notice that he's gone. The shark would have noticed. The shark would have gone right after him if he yeah. when he swam away. He's not swimming at like a breakneck speed here. He's just hiding under some coral. Uh, to this day, I still think of Jaws when I head out into the ocean when I visit my old stomping grounds in Naples. Uh, I still think of it because I remember hearing about the number of lemon sharks out there and then getting nicked by one my week before leaving. Not eaten. It bumped me, like just kind of like like that and swum off. I was well, like, you were in its way. It was, it was checking me out. That's all it was. It was like, eh, we won't give it that much credit. <laughs> I look good in a suit. <laughs> I didn't say you did, but it's always your ankles. What is this, Victorian era? Yeah, it is Victorian era. Uh, you mentioned something, though, when it comes to the history of this movie, in that when you think of possession films, everybody goes to The Exorcist. And whenever there's another one made, they go, they compare it to The Exorcist. Jaws is a thriller horror film in the water. There hasn't been one that's beaten it yet in the water. It's constantly compared to it, and it, it, nobody's beaten it yet, although I maintain the shallows may have in my eyes. Um, it's, it is iconic. They made a universal ride about the f- thing. It's in Back to the Future 2. Yeah, Jaws 19. That's it spawned all- three sequels, uh, two, 3D, and four, The Revenge. And then Sharknado. Sharknado Returns. Sharknado. And now Jason Shark, Statham. Shark Week. Jason Statham's going to be yeah. in Meg, which is Megalodon, which is supposed to be a bigger Jaws. We kill Megalodons on Ark. We have to collect their teeth in order to like do the bosses at the end. Are the teeth the size of shot glasses? You know what? They look like them. Not like, like shot, shot glasses, glasses <laughs> but look like the size of the teeth that's in there. If this movie was released on Blu-ray, by the way, it's going to the Pantheon, horror film, Jaws, it's there, boom, uh, do you buy it, bin it, stream it, borrow it, or forget about it? JC. Bin it. You bin it. Bin it. I binned it. You, I binned it. Oh, you binned it. Binned it. <laughs> I just you bent it. <laughs> bent it. But uh, it, hey, it was great on Blu-ray. It really does look good on Blu-ray. Yeah. I watched it on uh, HD stars, and it looked great. I, have the, I just have the DVD. I don't have the Blu-ray. Unacceptable, uh, man. The 30th anniversary. Unacceptable. I know. I put it in. I was like, this looks awful. Is it on stars? Oh, it looks beautiful. Uh, for me, it's buy it. Buy, 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 buy. No, you only had three buys. I'm adding a fourth. All right. That's all I've got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next week, we'll be reviewing the movie Labyrinth. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to pass the word on to your friends about the show. Subscribe on iTunes and help the show get on its feet with a four or five star review. Tweet with any questions, comments, theories, and I'll try to fit them into the show next time we're on the air. Send those tweets to at MoviePlanetPod and like us on Facebook and Instagram using the links in the show notes. Special thanks to Twisterium and SoundJ Music for providing our intro music. Thanks for listening to the Movie Planet Podcast and happy movie watching. <laughs>